Well, it's me, I promise. Um, yeah, I, I think I chopped off about a good 10 inches. I had to have been at least. It was down to my shoulders, so feels good. Um, why? Um, I was just sick of it, you know? I just, uh, I don't really care about the way I look, Exhibit A, um, but I, I just, um, I was, a couple weeks ago, I had a cold, and I was in my office, and and I, I just sniffled, and it was just the right length, and hair just went right up my nose. And I just immediately was like, I'm, I'm done. Like I just, I'm done with it. I'm sick of it. Um, and about four or five years ago, I tried to grow my hair out, too, and it wasn't quite as long as it was this last time. And I, um, uh, I shaved. I was just sick of having, having facial hair, and I shaved. But something about being, for me, being clean-shaven, um, I've got a tiny head. It just looked really goofy, and so I ended up chopping my hair off too. Then, so it just just kind of all all goes at once. Um, so, anyways, um, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, uh, pastor here at Lower Town, and um, glad you're able to make it in the midst of the uh, windy windy snowstorm out there. It wasn't as bad as they said, thankfully, but I um, uh, hope you're able to stay safe and stay warm. Uh, I do want to want to highlight. I know that uh, every week we we mention the the prayer request, and if you go into my Hope CC and you can enter in your prayer request, I just want you to know, like that's that's my way as as your pastor, like an easy way for me to really care for you, um, not just to just pray for you by name, and, and it, you can do anonymous, um, uh, anonymous one if if you'd like, but uh, I really like to be able to pray for you by name, and so do the other pastors uh, that are downtown. Um, and even and even if, if we don't get a chance to talk, it's just a way for me to just kind of get filled in with what's going on in your life. And and um, that's it's not just for visitors and new people and that kind of thing. It's for it's for the church. And so I just want to encourage you if, to to do that. Um, I fill it out every once in a while, so so that other pastors will pray for me as well. So, um, anyways, uh, that's that. Um, we're uh, we're gonna jump right in uh, to the, to the sermon. Yesterday we had a uh, birthday party for my my little boy. He turned two on on Tuesday, and um, and it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of friends and family there. There was a couple of church uh, friends and family there, you know, that are up in the nursery with him. And and uh, it's it's it brings me joy to know that my my little boy has you know church friends and and um, and then just a lot of cousins there. The the, the boy that's on the left there, um, he's his oldest cousin on at least on our my wife's side of the family. And uh, you know how it is like when you go to, I don't know if you've ever been like a little kid's birthday party, all they want to do is open all the presents, right? Nobody just wants to let the birthday kid open the presents. And uh, so it was <laughs> uh, fun having him there. I think he played with the toys more than my son did. But um, I say this and I bring this up because I, I, I love this kid. I, I mean, I love him. I can't even begin to describe And I'm not, I'm not, and I call the parents and be like, what? I don't really like kids. Um, I, I do my best. I try to learn their names, um, you know, and I go that far. And, and I just, it just doesn't come natural for me, right, this compassion. But something about uh, my boy that I just, I get choked up sometimes when I see him. Uh, and, and I love him. I love celebrating him. And, and we have our own, our own games that we play. Uh, he loves, we, we call it ouch, ouch, because he just pummels me to death. Uh, we play on the couch and he just crawls all over me. Uh, keeping me black and blue, and and uh, and I and I love it, right? It's just it's just fun to have a little toddler just beat up on you, and it doesn't. I mean, it, it hurts, but it's not like I mean, it doesn't like really hurt me, you know. Um, and we just have fun. But uh, my wife is also expecting, and and she is going to give birth to another little baby boy here in another another less than a month now, which I can't even wrap my mind around. And there's something about I can't imagine all the love that I have for my son. 
I don't know how in the world I'm supposed to, like, do it, does, it, does it split? Like, do I have to, you know, 50-50 this up? Or, or how does this work? Or, or is there something about all the love that I have for my son that just seemed to come out of nowhere? That's going to that's gonna happen again. And, and kind of this whole idea and the theme that we're going to look at tonight is this idea that we've been reborn to love. That, yes, there's, there's new life from us. That when we go from darkness to life, and, and, and God's view of us hasn't changed. He, he loves us. But now that we've been reborn and we're, we're believers, we're Christians, into this new life, we have now been reborn into this new life to love. And so that's what the passage is going to be on tonight. So we are in week six of First Peter and uh, we're still in chapter one, believe it or not. Um, this will this will close out chapter one. Uh, next week we'll start chapter two. And um, so, uh, just just to kind of recap, I'm gonna I'm gonna do actually I'm gonna do that in a little bit. So before I go into this this week's sermon, First Peter chapter one, 22 through 25, I'll have the verses. You already read them, um, but I want to just read these again. Uh, just so we're gonna hear this multiple times tonight. But I just want to get this into our into our brains tonight. It says this in verse 22. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. Their grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Um, we're going to be looking at this. We're going to be breaking it down, but I, I want to go back. And if we look at previous verbs, if, if you will, and I know verbs is kind of a, uh, or imperatives, right? These, these commands that we're going to be getting, all right? They're, they're going to keep going. They're going to keep coming at us. And, and it's just, when, if, just to break down a, a Bible study, if you will, I, I hope that we can learn something together tonight. Not, not that I'm the expert on this, just something that I've learned in my, my life here um, of studying scripture, that when you're, when you're going through a passage, especially when we're looking at uh, narrative texts, that would be like the gospels that are sharing stories and things like that. And then also then the books that are epistles or books that are written to the church, that there are certain uh, verbs that are written in the church or to the, in the epistles or, or to the church that we need to follow, that we need to, we need to obey, right? Love one another care for one another, bear one another's burdens, right? Those are imperatives, right? But then when we get to, when we get to certain um, narratives that we see in Scripture, in the Gospels, let's say Jesus is telling his disciples to go, go out into the community, and I want you to go, and I want you to preach what I've taught you, and if anybody rejects you or is rude to you, then I want you to take your sandals off, and I want you to dust off the dust in their face. That's not a command for us, right? That's not an imperative for us. And so when, we, when we're studying the New Testament, we're looking at these, these, these books that have been given to us, uh, the church and individuals, we take, there's, there's a lot of weight that are behind the verbs. And we really just want to follow the verbs. And so I want to go back to where we've been um, in, the, in the previous 21 verses, and I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to kind of recap it. So 1 through, 1 through 12 is really just him setting the stage. He just says this, this beautiful thing of God the Father who chose you before the foundations of the earth. And we have uh, the, the Holy Spirit that empowers you and then Jesus Christ. And he just, he cranks up to Jesus and he just says, Jesus this, Jesus that. It's all about Jesus and everything I'm about to say for the remainder of the book is always going to be about Jesus, okay? So he says all this and he's just getting our hope up. And then verse 13 is really the main first command or imperative. And he says, set your hope on the grace that came to you through Jesus Christ that everything, the foundation that Peter lays is going to say this solid rock that is Jesus Christ, set your hope on that. 
that someday, someday he's going to make all things right, that someday he's going to return and he's going to store glory to this earth the way that it was created in the beginning. So set your hope on that. And then the next imperative that he's going to pull up is going to be in verse 15. And he's going to say, be holy in all you do. And as we looked at this last week, this isn't just a command to be holy because God is holy because we can't be as holy as God. It's impossible. But what does he do? We set our hope on Jesus. And he is the one that enables us, empowers us, and we have to go back to that foundation of Jesus Christ. And then he says, uh, obeying out of reverent fear. And this isn't, again, just this, I'm going to beat you down. If you, if you disobey, if you disobey one of these commands, I'm going to send some lightning bolt out of heaven, or, or you're going to get some rare disease, or somebody you love, something awful is going to happen. If you don't obey me, that's not how this works. Because we have freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, you're in me, and I'm in you. You are my bride. I am your bridegroom. We are together in this. And so we obey out of love because we're enabled, because we get to, not because we have to. Today's verb that we're going to get to, this imperative that we're going to see, again, is going to be loving one another. And again, this always has to go back to this foundation of that I'm in Christ. If I separate myself from Christ, then I'm just being religious, I'm just, I'm just being uh, legalistic in thinking that I'm, I'm doing this in hopes that I will get some grace from God. It's not how it works. You have the grace. All we have to do, according to Scripture, is belief, and it's there. So now that that's there, we now get to love one another. But before we really dig into that, I want to look at this phrase that is used that we've read a couple times tonight now that says, purify yourselves by obeying the truth. So it kind of sounds contradictory, right? It kind of sounds like I'm supposed to be doing something that's purifying myself. So the, the phrase that's used here in, in 1 Peter, when we use the NIV translation uh, at Hope, and I will, I will always use it. I shouldn't say always. I, for a long time, I will use this, um, unless I change my mind. <laughs> um, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be using this for a long time. It's just easy to read. It's a, it's a really great translation. But sometimes they, it's just difficult. They, they over... Um, uh, what's the phrase? They, they want to paraphrase things as opposed to being very literal. Um, and so they, sometimes when they paraphrase things, things get a little bit confusing, get a little bit lost in translation. So the way that it's translated is, now that, you have been pure, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, sounds like I have actually made myself holy. I have made myself pure by obeying all the things that God has taught. And that can be a very confusing way. Now, even if we read it that way in the NIV, all we have to do is go back to the previous 21 verses and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that is not what Peter is saying. Because we can look back and say, no, it's only been through Christ Jesus that I've been purified. It's only by his spirit that I'm empowered and I'm able to obey. So then, a different translation might say this, because your lives are set apart by obedience to the truth. Right? That, this is just a natural outflowing. Right? We're, we're building on that foundation of Jesus and the walls around us, which people can see, our godly living, because our lives are set apart by obedience to the truth. That may be a better way of, of reading that. Um, an example, maybe, of this would, would be this, to, be, to obey by, by truth. Last week, I used an illustration, but I want to use a different one. This was a, actually a picture of me uh, when I was three with my dad. He was a pastor. Um, I don't know what the celebration was. We had some cake. We always have cake. We actually have extra birthday cake uh, for tonight, for my son's birthday party, um, just so you know. Um, 
And uh, there's a little bit of similarity between my son and me. I used to have just, you know, white blonde hair uh, like my son does. Um, there's something, though, that happens when you're, when you're a kid. Well, it doesn't matter really if, 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 you, if you had a father or, or didn't. Uh, there's still some, some truisms that may be true of what happens. And so with my dad, at least, I, I loved my dad. I loved playing with my dad, even with my son, right? Playing, playing ouch, ouch on the couch, right? That we have a good relationship. But there are certain commands that I give my son. And he doesn't have an option, okay? He obeys. That's how this works, okay? I'm your dad. You're two, all right? You're not allowed to punch me in the face, okay? Period, all right? That's, that's not acceptable. And when you do, there's consequences, right? Uh, we're going to go take a time out, all right? This is, that's not how this works, right? And so that's how it works. But there was even for me at a young age where I lived out of fear for my dad, right? I, I, was, a, I was afraid. I loved him, right? Don't get me wrong. I loved my dad. But when my dad said, do this, I knew I better do it. Why? Because I respected him? No, <laughs> right? I mean, I did, but that's not why I obeyed. I obeyed because I didn't want to get a whooping, right? That's why I obeyed. But then something happens. There's something, right? It, it, it's called puberty, right? You, you grow up, right? And so all of a sudden, my dad's no longer spanking me when I do something wrong, and something happens. I, know, I now don't, my dad doesn't have this, I'm just going to command you to do something the way that he did when I was a kid, it now then changes from a command or an imperative to influence. He can only, just by the way that he brought me up, now, because now I do respect you. Now I do love you. And so now when you give me a command, the same way that our holy heavenly father gives us a command, we have the option to say, no. There's a lot of commands in scripture. And we can say, you know, God, I know that you sent your son to die for me, but man, have you ever had this sin? Have you, ever, have you ever tried this thing before? Because right now, that seems way more satisfying than you do. And he moves from command to influence. And so now, because of what he has done for me, I can look and I can say, I know I don't have to obey you, but man, I, I really want to. I, I want to obey you, Dad. I see how good you are, and I see the grace that you have given me. And so that is the phrase. That's where we're coming from. Because our lives are set apart by obedience to the truth that as the world looks around at us, church, that they can say we've been obedient to the Father out of love and sincerity. So then he used this phrase, brotherly love, or, or phileo love, or Philadelphia. Right? Philadelphia means... Uh, the city of brotherly love, um, unless they, they come here for a, a Super Bowl, then we know that that's not always true. Um, sorry if you're from Philly. Um, I'm sure they're nice people. You know, they, have a, they actually have a jailhouse in their stadium. Did you know that? It's a fun fact. Yeah, just in case. Um, brotherly love. Here's what he says. So that, so that you have a sincere love for each other. I have a question for you. Uh, what comes to mind when you think of the church? This is the other translation here that I, that I read earlier, just another, another way of reading this. Because our lives are set apart by obedience to the truth for unhypocritical brotherly love. Right? We've, been, we've been set apart, why? To have unhypocritical brotherly love. 
So I have this question, what, what comes to mind when you think of the church or the word church or whatever, whatever it may be? Could be it could be a building uh, that that often comes to my my mind. I I was, I was as I was preparing this, I thought of the the little finger game again. If you didn't grow up in a church like me, this is I'm just weird and I know that. Um, right, we did this thing. Right, here's a church and here's the steeple. Open the doors and where are all the people? They're they're not there, right? And then you do your fingers this way. Open the doors and there's all the people, right? Um, and I and I just had these flashbacks of of just this building and church. And again, I grew up. My dad was a pastor. Grew up going to church. And I just have my 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 mind is is flooded with that. And then as I get older, there's actually pain. There's there's leaders who who let me down that abuse their power and authority within a church. And that may be true for some of you too. That when I think of church, it's painful. It's hypocritical. It could be the rules, right? What should come to mind, though, as we look at this passage, is a body. Is a body of believers, is his church, that we, the people of his church, that we are connected and we are one body. And there are certain people and certain members that do things behind the scenes and and all those different things, right? That we have people upstairs in the nursery watching kids and babies, and you wouldn't even know they're there. But they're, they're helping me do this uh, because my son's not, Daddy, rah, let's play ouch, ouch, right? That, it helps us all, okay? We're a body, and we should function as a body in brotherly love. We're not just some kind of social group. All right, we, if, if all we did was we just got together, and, and maybe I lectured or did something like that, right? We're not just a yacht club. We're not, we're not a chess club or anything or, or a Jeep club or anything like that. As, as fun as some of those things can be, I don't, I, do I really get to know somebody? Right, I'm in Jeep groups. I don't remember the last time I was like, man, I, I, I'm really struggling with, with my money. Well, I guess every Jeep guy says that. Maybe that's not the best thing to, that wasn't the best example. I'm really, right? Uh, right I'm, I'm, str- I'm struggling with, with alcohol or I'm struggling with, with, with pornography or whatever. That stuff doesn't come up in those groups. But what we're supposed to do is is really love and care and be a body, and we have to function together as a body in community. Community is something, and even Paul mentioned that, right? The kind of this kind of countercultural thing that we want you to to talk to people. It's really important to have these face-to-face conversations. It's important to actually have, and is is that community? We're gonna I'm gonna read a quote here in a minute. I think we'll hopefully give a little bit more on that. But one thing, and I've read this a million times from Paul David Tripp. He says that we have a personal relationship with God, but it was never meant to be private. That I say, yes, I know Jesus. I, I pray to God and I, and I have a relationship with Jesus. I know Jesus. He knows me. But I'm not supposed to just keep that to myself because we're a body. We're, there's so many one another commands in Scripture that we're supposed to do this and do communion and do community with each other, not just ourselves. Karen Job says this. One's covenant relationship with God is never an individual matter. That when I enter into that covenant with Yahweh, with the Father, through the blood of the Lamb that washed over my sins, as I partake of these elements, I'm entering into a community. And it was never to be an individual matter. To be chosen by God, that's, that's, pri- that's personal, Being chosen is personal by God and set apart by the Spirit for the purpose of 
participating in the covenant with Christ, going back to verse 2, means necessarily coming into relationship with others who are also so chosen. She says this, the Christian life cannot be lived authentically in isolation. It cannot be lived authentically in isolation. And I have, I have several friends that, that love God, love Jesus. They hate the church. And that could be some of you. Their skin boils when they think of the church. But they're missing something. They're missing that we're all sinners, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And it's only by God's grace that we can help one another, that we can build one another up that we're not to do this in isolation. So she says this, Peter shifts his exhortation from how to live rightly in relationship with God to how to live rightly with one another in Christian community. So then this main command now that we're gonna get to is love one another. This is the imperative. So that you have a sincere love for each other, okay? This is a brotherly love. Love one another deeply. This is the, the agape love. Unwavering, unchanging love one another deeply from the heart. It's a change. There's, a, there's something about, I, I have a brother. I love my brother. Uh, we're, we're, we're good friends. We're close to each other. And that's the brotherly love, right? I, I'd call several of the men in here. Like we're, we're brothers, right? We, we hang out. We have a good time together. We, we talk. But then, in those relationships that we're to love deeply, unwavering. That even when I send out a reminder email to go to men's breakfast and then I don't show up, I hope I, hope I can be forgiven, right? I forgot to set my alarm. <laughs> Get you every time. Um, that's what we do. It's an un unwavering, forgiving love for one another. So on that same note, though, what, what comes to mind when you think of love? Because in the English language, this is a really weird word. Right? I love my son. I love my wife. I love sausage pizza. Right? It's, just, it's, a, it's a weird word that we just throw out there and we, we, we use it for everything. And it wasn't the way in, in Greek, but this, this kind of love is a deep, deep Love that we don't deserve, not even with each other. Again, Karen Job says this. The love that Peter has in view is neither a warm, fuzzy feeling or friendships around a coffee pot after worship, which we still will do, just so you know. Though love, as Peter defines it, may involve both, right? That's not like, these aren't like bad, love is not, not less than those things, right? Loving you or caring, it doesn't mean like, that, like, it's not loving to, to, to plow your driveway or what, I don't have a plow on my truck, so don't get your hopes up. That's not what that means. It's not less than that. He says, rather, it refers, it refers to righteous relationships with each other that are based on God's character, which Christian behavior reflects. Because we're made in the image of God, because we both believe in the same God, we both believe in Jesus, we've both been forgiven by God, and we live under the gospel of Jesus Christ, that affects how we treat one another. Peter describes the quality of relationships rightly lived in the Christian community as love, 
And he goes on in his letter to reframe the self-understanding of, of his readers as a community that constitutes a spiritual house in which God is worshipped by acceptable offerings. And he's getting in, she's getting into next, next week there. So when we think of love, I just want to spend a moment here thinking about this. How can we, church, love one another? Deeply, from our hearts. There's a couple commands, and I'm not going to read them or go through them, but we're told in Scripture that we're to do this through confession. That we're to do this in repentance to one another. I love, we just taught this in, in, in class this last week, that Martin Luther, when he nailed the 95 Theses to the, to the church door in Wittenberg, that the first one is all of life should be of repentance. All of it. We should constantly be repenting to God and to each other. Talking about these things, talking about how we've wronged each other. Confession, repentance, and then on the other side of that is then forgiving one another. You know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is a, is a really interesting concept because it's really hard to do. Because what forgiveness says is if, I, if I've wronged somebody, all right, we'll just say Zach because he's sitting right here, okay. If I've wronged Zach and he says, Brian, you know what, I'm going to forgive you for that. I have, to, I have to apologize first, okay, so I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I left you hanging for breakfast, okay, I'm sorry. All right, I'm not going to put you in the spot. You don't have to forgive me right now, okay. But if Zach then says, Brian, you know what, I forgive you of that, what just happened? He's saying, I'm going to take the guilt, the shame, the responsibility that you feel, and don't worry about it. It's gone. It's, not, it's as if it never happened. And, but then who bears the, bears the weight of that sin? He does, because he has to take it. He has to bear it. And he's saying, I'm not going to put that back on you. And that's exactly what Jesus did, that he takes our sin. And he says, I'm going to forget it. I'm not going to remember it. And so we forgive one another. We bear one another's burdens, and we build one another up. Um, we started this thing as a staff downtown where we had these little blue uh, notes, these little cards, and we say, uh, this, this person, you know, honored me by doing this. We're kind of, you know, filling up this, this uh, bulletin board that we never used to use of just encouragement, of just notes, of just, hey, I noticed you did this, and, and, and thank you for doing that. And there's no, there's no, you know, I guess somebody gets a gift card, but that's not why we do it, okay? I guess there's no, right? But it's, it's just, it's a joy, and it's actually fun to, to write them, right? To, to just, man, I noticed this about this person, and they did this thing, and it's, and it's fun to be able to take those things and just nail them up to the board, and can we build each other up in love, in brotherly love? How about even within our church? I mentioned um, the nursery. Um, I think some of you knew this, but we've, we recently had five uh, women, families that were pregnant, and three of the five have given birth. There are five babies that are going to be born within five months of each other in this church. All those families, you know, work up in the nursery. It's fantastic. Well, when you have a newborn, it's kind of hard to, to watch other children. Um, and so we, we could use extra help up there. We could use help with the sound, a soundboard, right? Uh, we, we could use help setting up and cleaning up. There's, there's so many different things. We, we do coffee and, and, and the water and, and locking up at night and just coming in here and cleaning up beforehand. And how can we serve each other? How can we love each other? Even just something as simple as, I picked up a banana peel from your pew this afternoon, right? It's, and you, and somebody might not even know that. You're not going to get a little blue sticky note for that, right? How can we serve? How can we love each other? And, then, and part of that, though, would be uh, an idea of, of renting versus ownership. Um, if, you, if you rent something, if you've ever been there, right? If you, have a, if you lease a vehicle, I mean, you're redlining that thing all the time, right? You, you don't care, right? It doesn't, this thing blows up on you. You just take it to the mechanic. It's covered, right? It doesn't matter, right? But if you own it, 
right? You're going to baby that thing a little bit, right? It just, you're going to take care of it a little bit more. And it's, and it's the same thing with this property. We don't own it. We're renters. But can we have some ownership with it? Can we clean up? Can we be careful with how we utilize this space and bless God and, re, and, and honor God by how we care for it and care for each other? Now, we can do all these things, and again, we can look at those and say, oh, I guess I got to do this, and we, we got to do this, and X, Y, Z, and all these different things. But I want to look to Jesus Christ as our example. He was our example that said, I'm going to take off this towel, and I'm going to wash my disciples' feet, the creator of the universe, on his knees, serving those who he created. And yes, he's our example, but he's not just our example. He empowers us to even be able to do those things. Matter of fact, we just, we just sang the, the lyrics, "'Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and it is grace that will lead me home. That I can't love you, I can't serve you without Christ working through me and loving you and vice versa." Okay, what is then our motivation for authentic community and love? Well, he ends it with this. For you have been born again, uh, I love here that he says that you've been, you've been born again and there's also been new life, that as he says at the beginning of, of chapter one. You've been born again, not of, not of perishable seed, right? Not of, not of human origin. You weren't just, weren't just born physically, but you have been born again of imperishable through the living word, through the living and enduring word of God. He says this, for all people are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Remember who he's writing to in the timeline where he's at and the glory of human beings around him. He's talking about Rome. He's talking about the most powerful nation in the, in the planet, probably if ever, if we think about an a, a, a empire, it's probably Rome's got to be one or two up there. And he's saying that their glory is going to fade. It's all going to fall apart, just like a flower, just like grass. Poof, it's gone. I was playing Legos my son this afternoon. We had, these, we had like a Jurassic Park thing for his birthday, and, and there's these big flowers on there, and he just started throwing them everywhere. And I was like, oh, the, the flowers fade, just like my son, just throwing Legos. It's just, it's, that's, that's our glory as humanity. It's gone. One really cool thing, if we can, just as far as Bible study again, looking at imperatives, but I'm going to use a phrase here that, that you're, it's not used that often, but it's called metalepsis, okay? Uh, M-E-T, uh, metalepsis, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the idea behind it is this. Um, if, if someone use, uses the phrase, um, I got to go get the worm tomorrow. Right, you, you would kind of know what that, what that meant, right? Because you know the idiom or the maxim, whatever it's called, right? The early bird gets the worm. So if someone says, I got to go get the worm tomorrow, I know that, that individual needs to, needs to wake up early and they got to they gotta get going. They got to get to work as early as they can to get it before the greedy people do, right? So that, that's what, that, that's what metalipsis is, that there's a word or a phrase that unpacks a much bigger, broader meaning. And that's what happens all the time in Scripture, so if you ever get to a passage that's quoting something from the Old Testament, Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Go back and look at what he's quoting because he's not just quoting that phrase, he's quoting the entire chapter of Psalms. 
And the same thing here, that when, when Peter quotes Isaiah, he's not just saying these verses, how do we know that? Because he says, and this is the word that was preached to you. Well, what was the word? This certainly is it, but it carries, carries a bigger punch and a bigger meaning. So as we look at this passage in Isaiah, this is chapter 40, and I'm just going to read verses 3 through 11. It says this, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Right? This is, this is looking at John the Baptist now, preparing the way for Jesus. So packed into this message that Peter's quoting some obscure verse about the glory of mankind fading away, he's saying there's something else about Jesus that's going to be established forever. He says, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. Right? Man, when you, when you understand the context of the New Testament and what Jesus said, that there's going to be level, level ground in front of the cross, that everybody's welcome, Jew and Gentile, all ethnicities, everything's about Jesus, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, and the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up to a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Who is this God that Isaiah is prophesying about? It's Jesus. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart, and he gently leads those that have young. He goes and he says, and this is the word that was preached to you. He's looking at Isaiah, and he's saying, there's something about this passage that's going to point us to Jesus that he's the hero of everything we do and he is the enabler of this love that flows from him in abundance that we are to have towards one another. Last point here is this, that we are immortal. That may not be what we really think of when we think of humanity because humanity seems very fragile, very frail, which it is. I could take my last breath at any moment. It is so fragile. But every human being that's ever lived has a soul. I love what C.S. Lewis says on this in his book, The Weight of Glory. It's kind of heady, but just follow with this thought. At least the last sentence will make sense. It took me a couple times reading through it to try to grasp it. He says this. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. I'm talking about human beings, men and women, gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as now you meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other 
of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with this awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as a life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Church, as we look in the next couple chapters, Paul's gonna, Peter's going to say, there's something about you, church, that when the world looks at you and us actually, truly loving one another, forgiving one another, and working with other denominations, even under the same roof that says, we love Jesus. We have some differences, but it's not enough to make us mad at each other. That when they look at us, they might see our good works, they might see our love for one another, and then glorify God on the day of judgment. We have an opportunity to love one another because of the love that has been shown to us, and we have the opportunity to show and demonstrate and talk about the love that Jesus has given to us, to other immortals. So in gospel application, I say this. How can we serve one another in love? How can we do this? This could be something. I, listen, there, if, you, if you say, man, I've always wanted to do this or I've thought about this. I got an email this week. I mean, I'd love to do a men's event like this, host it at my house. Great. Do it. Right? Like that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. If there's something that, that there's something on your mind that you say, man, I'd love to see this thing happen. I'd love to, love to see this. Talk to me about it. Let's, let's talk. Let's serve one another in love. If you know of a need, let's talk about it. Let's pray for each other. Let's serve one another in love. Let's outdo one another in honor. And then finally, are there ways in which we can share this love with other immortals? As we look at people that we work with, that we get coffee from every day, that we pass on the street every day. We know their names. Is there some way that we can share with them the love that God has for us with other immortals and maybe one day see them in everlasting splendor and glory with our God and Father? Like we do every week, we're going to have a time of, of communion. And communion, as I mentioned before, is done in community. This is a family. It's a family meal, and we get to partake of these elements. We get to partake of the bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us and the juice that represents the blood of Christ that was spread, that, that was shed for our blood or for our sins. And we get to take of these elements. Nothing miraculous, nothing special about them. It's simply a meal that we get to remember what Christ has done, and we partake in the, in the sacrificial meal that he established over 2,000 years ago, and we get to do that. We want to do that as a family. And as we confess sins to our Heavenly Father, and as we pray, and as we worship, and as we stand, and as we sing songs, I pray that God will hear us, and our love for one another would be reflected in our love for our Heavenly Father. Will you bow your heads and pray with me?
Heavenly Father, you are good. You are loving. You look at us like a little toddler who just punched you in the face. And regardless of what we do, you still say, I love you. You still have my best interest in mind. And so God, I pray that we would be like a child who doesn't cower in fear, but turns to you out of love, out of respect, and we want to obey. So God, I pray that you wouldn't just give us some, some will or something that we can, we can figure it out and we can set up some, some rules and, and protect ourselves from sin, but that we would, we would trust and rely on your spirit that empowers us, that enables us to obey, to fight sin, to win the victory, and that we would honor you because we want to, because we get to, and we can cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father, thank you. And God, would you forgive us of our sins? Would you forgive us of our, of our corporate sins, whether it's as a, as a church of just not loving one another well? Or maybe as a church, maybe into the community, how, how can we serve the community? Could you just help us in that area? And God, I pray that you would just be honored and glorified as we pray, as we sing, as we lift up our voices to you, our Heavenly Father who is seated on his throne. May praise and honor and glory that is due your name. May you just hear that now. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.